Good morning. It's nice to see all of you today, especially if you're visiting with us, either locally or from out of town. We're really pleased that you're with us and hope that you will make your way back to be with us and that you have already received a very warm and cordial welcome. Just in case you are wondering, Theophagy is is spelled T-H-E-O-P-H-A-G-Y. So if you have any questions about looking it up, you can do that and uh, you'll know how it's spelled. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> um, we've got two announcements that we want to make, that, uh, uh, and both of them are related or have to do with, with children. Uh, first of all, as you can see on the screen, we have our Easter Sunday celebration, which will be in just a couple weeks. And so uh, parents, be on the lookout. There will be a lot of special activities for uh, you and your children during the Bible class hour, and then we will look for you here as we celebrate that day. And uh, as we celebrate every day, Sundays as well as every day of the week, the resurrection of our Lord, it's um, a good time to also celebrate it in a very, very special way together as a church family as the world uh, thinks about the resurrection of Jesus. So we help take something that they might have tried to hijack towards different kinds of things, Easter hats and Easter dresses and Easter eggs, and uh, we can help um, guide that thinking back to what is truly important, and that is uh, Resurrection Day. Uh, I've got one other announcement for the kids, and so I appreciate the kids that are here. Some of have already stepped out, but uh, but you guys do a really good job uh, paying attention, and um, uh, and I know you have your connection bags and everything, but but um, uh, Bob and Debbie Payne have brought a special gift for all the kids, and I hope it doesn't derail your thinking for the rest of the morning. But when you uh, leave the auditorium, make sure you go by the Welcome Center, and you can get yourself a pair of uh, these sunglasses. Uh, as you can tell, they're a little bit, I have a wide face anyway, and so, but they're a little bit tight. I don't think it'll work for adults, but there's a huge box of them back there for all you kids. So go by and pick up a pair of sunglasses and, uh, and rock them. And, uh, and have some fun with them. So, uh, we, we appreciate the, the generosity of the pains in, in sharing this gift with, uh, with all of you. If you were to choose, if you had to choose, which one of the five senses would you go without? If you had to choose, touch, sight, smell, taste, or hearing. Now, most of us don't have a choice, right? People are either born or through some sort of accident or injury or disease, they might be affected in one way or the other. You know, not being able to smell when you're sick and and you lose the ability to smell and then that's connected to your taste. Food becomes boring, and, and you force yourself to eat because it's just not fun anymore. And, and that would be horrible. That would be horrible. Not to smell wood-roasted meat grilling. Okay, all right, stop. Uh, <laughs> not be able to hear music, laughter, sermons. <laughs> laughter again. <laughs> You know, we, we, you can put subtitles and captions, but it's when you read sound of car crashing. It's just not the same as when you hear metal on metal. Touch, not be able to feel when you shake someone's hand or give a hug. 
Uh, thank you to your prayers and for God's help and some wonderful therapists and doctors. Uh, my sciatica nerve pain is almost all gone, but what's not gone yet is the numbness I feel in my foot. And I understand that nerve pain takes some time to heal, but I still can't. I felt for the first time water in over a month, month and a half. I felt the water from the shower uh, on my toes. Before then, I haven't felt anything, and still it's half numb. I know I know my foot's there, and I can stand on it, but I just can't feel it. You could hug someone and know they're there, but you can't feel the embrace, touch. All those are significant, but for me personally, I don't know for you, but for me personally, sight would be the sense that I would have the hardest time with. Not necessarily just watching movies, but seeing green and all of the hundreds of shades of green that God has put in our plants. Uh, seeing scripture or seeing books and being able to read. I know you can read on tape or on CDs or, or podcasts and you can read Braille, but it just doesn't seem to be the same thing. Well, today's text, uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26, the theme that runs through all these verses is, is blindness. And not all blindness is physical. Robert mentioned about the ministry of Jesus to the Gentiles, and it actually began quite earlier than chapter 8. Back in chapter 5, you might remember Paul's lesson where he spoke about Jesus casting out this legion of demons from a man, and that was in Gentile territory. Two weeks ago, we began talking about how Jesus declared no food unclean. He declared all foods clean, and by that we understand he declared all people as clean. There are no impure people. And then last week, Randy touched on uh, Jesus' healing of this Syrophoenician woman's daughter, a Gentile lady, healed his daughter. And then the healing of the deaf and mute man was in this region of the Decapolis, ten cities to the east of the Sea of Galilee. Heavily, heavily Hellenistic, heavily pagan. Jews would stay out of those areas. So Jesus is developing this ministry towards non-Jewish people. And today he's going to do something that will kind of ratchet it up. So let's read through the text, and then we'll kind of think through out loud a couple of the thoughts here. Uh, Mark chapter 8, you can follow along in your Bible, your device, or on the screen. During those days, another large crowd gathered in the Decapolis area, ten cities, it's a region. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said... I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? A couple chapters ago, feeding of the 5,000, remote area, Similar kind of scenario, and now the disciples are wondering, is there anybody that could give us enough bread to feed these people? Jesus asked, how many loaves? Seven. 
He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, taken the seven loaves, given thanks. He broke them, gave them to his disciples to distribute. It sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute. The people ate, were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got in a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. It's more like argue. To test him, they asked, more like demanded, a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply in his heart. Why does this generation ask for a sign? I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. They're in the boat. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. You know, those seven basketfuls of left, they had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf. And then Jesus uses a teaching moment there and says, be careful, watch out for the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we don't have any bread. It's kind of like a collective ADD, you know. Jesus says, leaven, leaven, huh, that goes into bread. Bread, what? We don't have any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? If you can't see, you're blind. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears and fail to hear? And, and don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And, and you can know that they're kicking their feet and, and looking uh, <clears throat> 12. And when I broke the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Um, seven. And then he said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man. And begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes. See, the, the English is a little bit rough, right? I, I, I don't know how you imagine the, this taking place, but Jesus did not lean over and spit in the man's face. Most likely what he did was he spit on his hands and then with his fingers touched the man's eyes and then laid hands. When he had placed his saliva on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Well, as I mentioned, blindness is the thread that ties all of these texts together. Jesus had fed 5,000 mostly predominantly Jewish people. 
And now what he's doing is he's feeding 4,000 mostly predominantly Gentile people. The text never comes out and says that they were Gentiles or non-Jews. But there's any number of different clues that give us an idea. And as we mentioned before, whenever you see a miracle that Jesus accomplishes, keep in mind that most miracles are functioning on two levels. There's two levels of meaning. One is the actual, the superficial meaning of what is Jesus doing to help alleviate a need. Most of the time this is motivated by compassion. Jesus felt compassion for people. And so he wanted to heal them. He wanted to rid their lives of demons. He wanted to rid their lives of this curse. He wanted to provide them with sustenance so that they would not faint on their way home. But, but then the second bigger picture is what this says about Jesus and how this ties into Old Testament history and how it ties into God's expectations for what the Son of God should do. The, the bigger picture is Jesus is demonstrating that he is the Son of God for all people. He's not just the Son of God who provides sustenance and the bread of life for Jewish people, God's people. He's also the bread of life for people that have not grown up listening about God. And this is what the true Messiah is here to do, is to be the Messiah for everyone, regardless of their background, their heritage, their nationality, regardless of even their attitudes and actions. He asks his disciples to help him in this task and brings them along with him. But as we'll see, as we read, they were blind to Jesus' ability. Not only did they miss the superficial understanding that, yeah, Jesus has power to do this. He just did it. He can do it again. But they were also missing the big picture. What does this say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because up to this point in Mark chapter, by the time we get to Mark chapter 8, this first part of the chapter, the disciples still haven't, it hasn't really clicked yet. They're still unsure. Now demons have said, we know who you are. But the disciples haven't gotten there yet. And so they're blind. You know, I don't know of any time in Scripture when Jesus was asked to heal someone that he refused. Regardless of what the situation was. But the Pharisees show up and they ask Jesus for a sign, a miracle, and he flat out refuses. He doesn't curse in the sense of bringing down a curse, but he says, May I pass away if I would give you guys a sign. And it's striking that, number one, the Pharisees are demanding a sign, but then even more striking is that Jesus refuses. I'm not going to play your little game. He knew what their motives were. They were not asking for help to believe. They were looking for a way that they could trap him. And what they were basically saying is, we want you to open up the heavens and give us 
an indisputable proof that God is with you. He's already done all these miracles. He's healed people. He's raised people from the dead. He's cast out demons. He's provided food, bread and fish. But what they're really looking for is, show us that you're really from God and give us proof that you're going to wipe out the Romans. Show us proof that you're going to follow our idea of what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And its deepest core, the demand of a sign by the Pharisees, comes from their vision of what the kingdom should look like. And Jesus says, no, that's not what the kingdom is like. That's not what the kingdom should look like. And what we'll see, especially by the time we get to next week's text, is that Jesus has been grooming his disciples. He's been teaching his disciples little by little. And in addition to his instruction, he's also having to protect them from this influence of the Pharisees. So once they're in the boat, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, I don't know if you've ever made bread, but you can go down to the grocery store and buy a packet of dry yeast. And then you put it in water and then warm water in a warm climate. You mix it in and then it, it helps the, the bread rise. There's another way, and, and, and some of you have probably done this, where you can have like starter bread or, or some sort of starter yeast and you have it in a jar in your refrigerator and, and you can take out a chunk of it and you keep feeding it, but you just keep it there for years and years and years. And we had a jar in our refrigerator for most of the time that we lived in Argentina because one of the missionaries started it and then we got a jar of it and we kept it and then we would use that to make pizza dough and make bread. They didn't have the dry yeast like today. Well, well the, one of the dangers with the starter leaven is that it can go bad. And especially in ancient days, there was no refrigeration. And so most of the time that the Bible talks about leaven, it talks about it in negative terms. There's only one real time when it's positive. Most of the time it's negative. And he tells his disciples to be careful. Their influence on you can be very hurtful, can be harmful. You need to be careful. But you know, it's so hard to break out of certain patterns of thinking. I was reading yesterday, and if you believe this, please understand I'm not ridiculing or belittling you. For most of, I guess, modern civilization, people have believed that the earth was flat and that when you reached the edge, you would fall off. Some believe that the flat earth sat on the back of a great big tortoise or some believe that it was just suspended, but they believe that the earth was flat. There are people today who hold to the flat earth theory. And their allegation is that all of the pictures from space, NASA and anything else, are all doctored photos that are trying to mess with our minds, trying to convince us that the earth is round, when in reality 
the earth is flat. Well, it's hard once you get an idea in your mind, it's hard to break out of certain patterns of thinking. How we treat others. I was told, watch out for this person or those people. What we think about people from, from different nationalities, yeah. Our own personal experiences, our loyalty to different brands. I bought a blank kind of car once and it broke down and I promised I would never do it again. Once we get into a particular pattern of thinking, it's hard to break out of it. And, and so I understand the disciples. We look back and we think, wow, these guys are just brain dead. But it was hard. Because Jesus is coming and totally uprooting and upending their way of thinking. And, and even thinking about stuff like this. How are you going to feed 4,000 people? Yeah, you did it once, but maybe you're a one and done. Just because you did it once, I don't know that you can do it again. And so they had this difficulty in really understanding Jesus' point. Trust God. He'll give you what you need. He has more than enough resources. And it's amazing how it's easy to look at the disciples and think, wow, they just don't have a clue. But then when we look at our lives, I, I did a search on what are the most common biblical teachings that Christians have a hard time believing. Number one, that God is with us all the time. That he's really with me. We preach it, we read it, we, believe, we say it. We might believe it at some level, but when it gets down, I don't know. God, please be with me. And it's in our prayers a lot, right? Please be with me. Please be with me. What did he say? I'll be with you. Every now and then. One third of the time. Only on Sundays. I'll be. No, what did he say? I will be with you always. Until when? Until the end of the week. End of the month. End of the year. End of time. End of the age. He already said that. And every time we pray, even though it comes from our heart, Jesus must scratch his head and think, well, I thought I told you guys that once. I thought it was written down in a book. Maybe I need to double check. Another is that God will forgive me. It's hard to believe because we're humans and we have a hard time forgiving one another. God must be like us, bears a grudge. There's no way that he could take a person like me with what I... If God knew what I have done, <laughs> and, and that's the joke, right? God knows. <laughs> he already knows. And in spite of what he knows, his response is, bring it in. Give me a hug. I want you on my side. Well, well this development of thought, this development of faith kind of comes to a head with the, the healing of this, this blind person in, in Bethsaida. You know, when you're on a phone and, uh, and, and the call drops or you're not quite sure if someone's listening, the phrase is, 
Can you hear me now? Right? And why is it necessary to ask that? Because we're not really sure if the other person's still on the line. See, most of the time when Jesus did a miracle, he didn't say, can you feel it? Can you feel it? No. He said, I've healed you. Get up and walk. Go. You're done. Get. He talks to a dead child, grabs the hand and says, get up. But here, he touches the man's eyes and says, is it working? Can you see now? And surprised upon surprises, the man says, well, kind of. It's kind of like what, how I see when I put these glasses on. and Everything's kind of fuzzy and I don't know. You guys look really good when I put the glasses on. And And then he says, oh, okay, let me hit you again. Hits him a second time. And then the man can see clearly. What? Since when did Jesus need two takes? When does Jesus need a do-over? Some people say, well, wow, you know, this blindness is really tough. You know, in the Old Testament, no one was healed of blindness. And one of the signs of the kingdom, of this new kingdom that Jesus comes to bring, this inbreaking of the kingdom to our world, is that the blind shall receive their sight. And so the thinking among the disciples, I'm sure, was, yeah, this was a tough one. But remember those levels of meaning. And and in this story, we actually have a third level. The superficial level, the the man was blind. And in that world and at that time, it was virtually a death sentence. You couldn't work, you couldn't do anything, you could only beg. You wouldn't be included. You couldn't see what was happening. Uh, Disability laws didn't exist and few people would care other than your immediate family and that can only go so far. And so Jesus had compassion on him and wanted to give him life by giving him sight. On the second level, the bigger picture, he's demonstrating that he is the Messiah. He is the one who's bringing this new kingdom because one of the hallmarks of this new kingdom is giving sight to the blind. And now Jesus is doing it. And he's hoping that his disciples will get a light bulb. But then the third meaning and level of understanding is this play on seeing and not seeing. Because he's asked his disciples over and over, do you have eyes and not see? And, and, and what Jesus and Mark are doing in this particular text is setting us up for what's going to happen next week. Because there's a level of understanding that the disciples will finally get to. And it's taken some time for them to get to that. It's taken eight and a half chapters for them to get there. But once they get there, they're only halfway there. And next week, we will see the disciples begin to see people like trees. And they need a further revision and a further clarification. So so Mark is using this healing of a blind man, and then he will close out this section of 8, 9, and 10 with another healing of a blind man. And focus on giving us sight.
So, so where can we go with this text? Let me just point out a couple things. One, there is no need too great that God doesn't want to hear about it. it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter what your need is. I'm hungry. God says, I want to provide that for you. God would never say, wow, man, I'm really sorry about that. That's too tough. I can't, I, I'm going to have to pass on that one. God will never turn down the opportunity. God never says that we're on our own. And whether he re- chooses to respond through direct intervention or through other individuals or through the church family or through our own growth and understanding what's going on, there is no need that's so big that God says, yeah, I don't want to. But alongside that, there's no reason for us ever to forget. Our memory is so short. If you think about what's on your prayer list, if you have a prayer list and things that you pray for on a regular basis and things that you get afraid about or things that you're concerned about, if you'll think about those things I think you'll realize that just about in every one of those cases, God has already acted and has already answered at some point. I had no doubt that the sciatica pain would go away. I was concerned that it might last until I died, but I knew that it would go away. It will end, and I will be healed. And sometimes it's me adjusting to God, and sometimes it's God adjusting to me and my needs. But we should never be a people that forgets. Did you go hungry yesterday? You probably won't go hungry tomorrow. God will provide. And when we hear on the news or we know of individuals that are in situations of significant and overwhelming need, like our brothers and sisters in Venezuela... I think part of what God is doing is say, hey, didn't you see that on the news? Those are your people. Those are your friends. Those are your countrymen. Those are your brothers and sisters. And and we need to do something to help. And so we remember how someone shared with us when we were in situations of need, and then we also share with others. And lastly... There's no way that God is going to give up on you, even if you don't get it the first time, the second time, the tenth time, the hundredth time. God's not going to give up on you. You know, there's some things that are just so hard for us to understand. I I know very few people who understand geometry, physics, uh, high-end calculus the first time. Takes years, right? Classes, hours and hours and hours. And even then, some of us don't get it. <laughs> and so God isn't surprised that it takes us a while to understand this concept of grace in a world that's focused on performance. He knows that's our bent. God knows it's hard to forgive because our minds play games with us. But what he would ask us to do is look for your blind spot. We all have them. 
Where's your blind spot? Is your blind spot some sort of doctrine? Some sort of belief about God or about His church or what He's doing? Is your blind spot something about how God feels about you? Is that something that you just struggle to understand? Is your blind spot taking what you've learned from the text and putting it into practice and, and, and if you've received, then share and give? Maybe that's the area where eh, I just have a hard time with that. With whatever you're struggling with, God knows, and he'll be patient. Now, he wasn't patient with the Pharisees because they didn't come with genuine concern, genuine doubt, genuine questions. God knows when we're playing games. And he shut down the Pharisees and said, no, I'm not playing your little game. But if we come with a sincere prayer, God, I want to see. Open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart so that I can see. God will say, yes, I will honor that. And it doesn't matter if you prayed it one time or ten times or a thousand times. God honors that prayer and that request. So whatever your need is this morning, we would like to pray with you and for you. And as we've done for years, we have the opportunity. You can come forward and an elder will be here to pray with you. We're also offering the opportunity. Sometimes people feel a little hesitant about coming up to the front. There's nothing special about the front. And so we will have a couple elders in the back, and you're welcome to go to the back and just pray with them there. Uh, they want to serve and minister to you. So whatever way you need, please join us as we pray and as we sing uh, this song.